We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Corinthians chapter 4. Now I'd like to begin by flagging the fact that Paul the Apostle was a Christian flag, if I could say that, that I think we can relate to. Uh, you know how our flag has uh, stars and stripes? Well, Paul was the man with scars and stripes, if I could say that. You know, he suffered for the Savior. He suffered for the sake of the people. His priorities were in order. And uh, when you look at his life, it's really a lesson for us all. You know, our priorities, first, Jesus, second is others, and then last is ourself, yourself. And if we have those priorities in order, we're going to be in great shape. First, Jesus. Look what we read in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the simple summary of the treasure we have in us as Christians is Jesus. You know, Colossians 1.27, it says, uh, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, usually you keep treasure in a treasure box, right? Or a safety box or a safe place, an appropriate place. But the irony here is that this treasure, the Bible says, is in earthen vessels, which literally means jars of clay, jars or vessels of clay. And so what we find the Bible teaches is that the jewel of Jesus is in jars, that the King of Kings, the Christ, is in clay. And I don't know how you feel about that, but it's kind of funny to me to think that we would have such a treasure in earthen vessels. I mean, you know, when was the last time you found gold or silver or costly pearls in clay pots or diamonds in dirt containers? I mean, it usually doesn't work that way. In the kingdom of men, it's not too common, but in the kingdom of God, it's always the case. And so you wonder why. Why do we have this treasure in earthen vessels? And look again there at verse 7. We have the answer. It says that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, the treasure, it comes wrapped in earthen vessels so that the source of this extraordinary power, this all-surpassing power, to save souls and to sanctify souls and to change lives cannot be confused to have originated from the human vessel for human vessels fail. Human vessels are frail. No, he says this work that saving souls and sanctifying lives is a treasure in earthen vessels because it is God. It's not men doing the work. You know, and that's one of the points Paul is making here. You know, we as ministers, we're men, we're mere men. We know that. You need to know that. That the miraculous power is from God. Our human leaders are just vessels. 
And, you know, the, the value must not be placed in him or her or in that man or in that ministry. The treasure is Jesus. And the truth they teach is from him and about him. We're just earthen vessels. And I think sometimes we forget these things and, and we need to be reminded of that, you guys. It's very important that we fix our eyes on Jesus because then we're going to grow. Then we're going to be the man of God, the woman of God he's called us to be. You know, it's not a perfect illustration, but it's kind of like, let's just say you get a gift. And let's just say it's one of those new Apple watches. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but there's an, actually an Apple watch out there that costs a hundred and $15,000. Imagine that. I like one of those. That would be kind of cool. Um, I think we have a picture of one. But it's sold by the Brick Company, 18 karat gold, rows and rows of 11.3 karat diamonds. I mean, think about that, you know? But imagine you get one of those gifts, and when you receive the gift, imagine if you were more interested in the gift bag than the Apple Watch. Why? Because it's a nice bag, right? I mean, that would be weird if someone did that, right? Now take that same watch and wrap it in a dirty, dusty, worn-out, and weakened paper bag, and you're definitely not going to be interested in what that gift was delivered in it. And, and that's kind of what Paul is saying. You know, that, that as ministers in the ministry, we're made out of clay, we're made out of dirt, we fail we're frail. We must fix our eyes on the treasure. And that's Jesus Christ. You know, I must admit this can be a challenging concept. Why? Because as ministers, we need to be quality men of integrity and honesty and sincerity. And, you know, I think of someone like Pastor Chuck Smith or the Reverend Billy Graham. And, you know, I know these are very honorable men. But at the end of the day, even they would definitely say, we're just jars of clay. You know, those who are ministers are just men and women. We're just human. And in our humanity, you're going to see as time progresses our frailty. You know, Paul mentions some of those things here in verse 8 through 11. Notice he says in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Scars and stripes, Paul said. You know, he gives a list right here that we're hard-pressed on every side. We're perplexed, meaning that there are times we don't know what to do. We're persecuted. That means that they're hunted down by the enemy. They're struck down at times. I mean, think about this. They're always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they were living in the cross. They carried their cross, constantly crucified, denying themselves. In verse 11, they're always delivered or sentenced to death. The devil was always trying to kill Paul. There was always a death threat on his life. That was his life, frail. 
earthen vessels. You know, later we'll read of Paul's sufferings in chapter 11, and if you were to read Acts 13 and 14, you would even see some of the sufferings in his very first missionary journey. Did you know that they stoned him and they left him for dead? He literally died? Came back to life? I mean, that was his life. That's the life of someone who sold out and surrendered to Jesus Christ. They will suffer these things. The devil will come after you if you live your life for the Lord, right? I mean, here he admitted that he was pushed to the edge, but he never went over. He felt overwhelmed at times, but he was never overcome. You know, the promise of God is that he will never give us more than we can bear, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I love Isaiah 54, 17. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. See, we know that. We go through these crazy things to the very edge. But don't you understand that God gives us the victory? The promise of God is that we can bear whatever comes our way. And like Paul, maybe you're here today and you're pressed or you're pressured, but you can't be crushed. Do you know that? You know, you might be perplexed, but there's no need to despair. God will guide you when you don't know what to do. You might be persecuted, but you will never, like it says right here, you will never be forsaken. You guys remember those movies? And some of those movies, uh, you've seen it, and they got the walls that are kind of coming in, and they're like crushing whoever it is, and you're like, ah. You know, sometimes you feel like that. Well, you got to know that they, it will never crush you. You will never be forsaken. Hebrews 13.5 says, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as you're going through the fire, guess what? Jesus is right there with you. You see? Paul right here talks about being pressed and pressured. And he talks about going through the difficulties. And we know that's what life is made of. And he just says, you know what? You might be knocked down, but you can't be knocked out. If you look a little deeper, there will always be strength so that you can get up. But you got to look a little deeper. As you look up to God and grow up as a Christian, then you won't be defeated. You can't be defeated by anyone but yourself. You know, we might be clay pots, right? That's who we are as ministers. And by the way, we're all ministers, right? When you catch the vision of understanding God wants to use your life, it's a beautiful thing. This is the ministry, right? And so we're clay pots. I would even add to that that we're cracked clay pots. Amen? Wouldn't you guys say that, right? But the Bible says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans eight thirty seven. It's in these things that we're more than conquerors. You know, I'll be honest with you. I see a lot of cracked Christians. Um, kind of like I see a lot of cracked phones. And I look at someone's phone and I see it's all cracked. I think, man, that's crazy, you know? But I, I look at them, and they're still talking on it. They're still texting on it. They're still doing things. They still work. They're beat up, but they're not broken to that degree. It still does the job. Might not be pretty, but they're practical. They're still usable. And that's the way it is for us as Christians. We're cracked clay pots, but God is working, right? I like what Henry said the other day. It's kind of like... You know that commercial, remember it says they, they take a licking and keep on ticking? That's us, man. Where? In earthen vessels. What? 
lots and lots and lots of suffering. Why? Well, he says right here, two reasons. Number one, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body, in our mortal flesh. And number two, for Jesus' sake. You see, why do you endure such things? Why are you still a Christian? Why do you continue to serve the Lord and give money to the mission and time to the truth and so much suffering and sacrifice is required to serve the Lord faithfully? Why do you do it? Answer number one is because I want to be like him so others might have a visible reflection and representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again there in verse 10. Notice he says, he says, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. The word manifested is found twice. We see it again in verse 11. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Uh, to be manifested, his life, it, it means to reveal, it means to make visible. I mean, you can't see Jesus, I can't see Jesus, I can't wait until I see Jesus, but I can see Jesus in you. I can see Jesus through you, the way that you love and the way that you live and the way that you serve and the way that you sacrifice. And as we go through the hard times, God is molding us and he's developing that character within us when we're real, when we're the real deal. And what he does is he allows us to, to, to just express Jesus to the world that we live in. Then LT says that Jesus would be seen and even obvious in our bodies. You know, when people watch our lives, they should in one sense be able to see what Jesus is like, you know? Um, we have a picture, I think we do. Uh, Katie posted on Facebook the other day. It was a quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, don't shine so others can see you. Shine so that others can see him. You know, and, and my pastor used to always say, just let Jesus express himself through you. There's a mentality. There's a, First John 5.19 says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There is a spell that our society is bought into that says, I want to express myself. I want people to see me. You know, and that's really antithetical to the Bible. Our whole existence, our whole reason is I'm here so that people can see Jesus. That's got to be our heart. That's got to be our life. You know, we live in a world, unfortunately, that wants to express themselves and not the Lord. Uh, for example, um, how many of you saw that Bruce Jenner a special the other night? Uh, Friday night, 17 million Americans tuned in to 2020. It was their biggest audience in 15 years. They tuned in to hear a man say that if it feels right, it is right. That's the essence of what he said. And I'm here to say that that's not right. You know, he may have an orientation. I'm not denying that. My heart in one sense, goes out to him. He may have an inclination. The truth is, we all do. We all do toward things that are wrong. But the cracked pots, the jars of clay, the fallen creatures 
are not the ones to dictate what's right and wrong because if that's the case, then where do you draw the line? If our philosophy and our morality is based on the premise that simply says, if it feels right, then it is right, then we're in big trouble. You know, where's God in all this? Where's God in all this? Apparently, we live in a world system that only wants to express themselves. They want to rule themselves. Who come out of the closet and say, well, this is the real me. Now, I would say go back into the closet and pray, like Jesus said, because, you know, the bottom line is the world... I mean, the world needs to see not the real me. The world, ne- the world needs to see the real Jesus. Amen. See, and that's where we're in trouble. I mean, if I was led by my body, by what felt right, I would not be a monogamous man. I would not be faithful to my wife and my children and my church. And in all honesty, I'd be checking out chicks. I'd be heavy into pornography, wanting to be with as many women as possible if I let my body rule, right? But we're called to do what we're reading here. Deny ourselves. Say no to me, yes to God. And in doing so, we will discover that God knows what's right. Father knows what's best. And the best for me is monogamy. And I fell in love with my wife. I will grow in love with my wife. And I will stay in love with my life till death do us part. I will not do what feels right. And then what ends up happening is then it's so cool when you walk by faith and not by feelings, then it's so cool because your feelings will follow your faith. You know, why are we doing this, Paul? Why are you doing this, Paul? Number one, because I want people to see Jesus in living flesh. And number two, I'm just doing this for Jesus. That's what he says there in verse 11. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why are you doing this? All that people may see Jesus, I'm just doing this for Jesus. You know, why do you cling to that cross? Why do you deny yourself? Why do you endure such suffering? Why do you stay pure? Why do you study so hard? Why do you sing those songs? Why do you teach that class? Why do you make those graphics? Why do you cut that wood? Why do you serve so faithfully in that ministry? Why? For Jesus. For Jesus. And that's all he's saying right here. Paul will later say, I make it my aim to please Jesus. You see, when you look at this, you see Jesus first. And, and then you see others second. Look at verse 12. He says, So then death is working in us, but life in you. See, it's, it's Jesus first, others second. It's not vicarious. In other words, we don't die for people's sins. But in one sense, Christian servants do die for the people. Paul said it straight out there in verse 12. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And if it's the will of the Lord, we may have to lay down our lives physically, as the many martyrs over the centuries have done so honorably. But it's not always literally or physically. As a matter of fact, in one sense, we die daily, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.31. We die every day by saying no to me and yes to Jesus Christ. By saying no to me and yes to the body of Christ. 
You know, it's different when you're in the ministry. And like I said, we're all in the ministry, so I could just say it this way. It's different when you realize you're in the ministry. And you could be a mom. You know, I remember reading a story of one mom. She had a whole bunch of kids, and there was a lady by the side and said, I'd give my life for those kids. And the mom says, that's exactly what it costs. You see, when you realize we're in the ministry, we realize we die daily. You know, it's different when you're there. It's kind of like, in one sense, I liken it to being in the military, like a soldier who's in the war. You know, we sometimes wonder when we're in the war, what civilian life is like. You know, when you're not on call 24-7, when you're not being persecuted by the enemy, when you're not being pulled in a hundred different directions. Again, not a perfect illustration, but I remember one of my favorite movies is uh, Spider-Man 2. I don't know if you guys saw that one, but, you know, that was one where Spider-Man was, you know, he was uh, having a hard time because there is a there was a tug of war going on in his heart, you know. He... He had a calling to protect society, but at the same time, he had a personal life that he, was, well, he wanted to get a little bit more I- involved in. And so, you know, eventually he came to that place where he said, I'm going to hang up my, my Spider-Man suit, and I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to live my own life. And, it, and it, just, it just wouldn't work. It doesn't work. It won't work. There's a calling on our lives and so he went back and thank God (laughs) you know I mean you know what I mean I mean the illustration is that we have to die to our own agenda Jesus put it this way in Luke 9 23 then he said to them all if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? And Jesus showed the way of leadership for the people by dying for the people. You see, we give our lives for others. We then, of course, would have to give our lips for others. Look at verse 13. It says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. You see, we give our lives for others. We give our lips for others. He tells us how our heart's supposed to beat. He tells us how we're supposed to think. He tells us how we're supposed to speak. It all belongs to Him, and we speak for others. I like what He says right here. We believe, and, and, and therefore we speak. You know, Paul believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, He believed in life after death. He believed in the resurrection of all those who placed their faith in Christ. He knew the truth of heaven and hell. And since he believed those things, he spoke. You know, it was the same spirit of the psalmist in Psalm 116 verse 10 who wrote that back then. And the truth is, if you're not speaking, if you're here today and you're not speaking... 
you're not speaking, you're not speaking the name of Jesus, you're not speaking, then chances are you don't believe. Because when you believe, then you will speak. It's a spirit of faith. We won't be silent. We won't be able to hold it in. You know, I think of Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Then he said, I will not make mention of him nor speak in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. When you believe, then you will speak. And you speak on behalf of the benefit of the people. You know, we don't speak simply because we want to speak. We want to be seen. We want a platform. We want a pulpit. We want the attention. That's not the reason we speak. No, we speak so others might be saved and sanctified. That's what he says there in verse 15. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul says it's all for you, it's for others, it's for your sake, that, that grace having spread to many and through many. And can you kind of visualize that? It just goes out and people's lives are getting touched and it just goes out farther and farther, working in you, working through you, bringing more and more people to Jesus. Paul says that's why we speak. And when that happens, we thank him, he says right there, and we glorify him. Because remember, it's a treasure in earthen vessels. And so you look at this and you look at the ministry and I think you have your priority, number one, Jesus, number two, others, and then last or number three is yourself. Look at verse 16. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, so many people being saved and sanctified, Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. You know, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. But I want to tell you guys this make no mistake about it, God does care about you, and you will be blessed beyond measure, both now and forever, right? I mean, you look at this right here, and I don't know if you guys knew this. For example, um, when you're studying the Bible and you're uh, learning about life, uh, God's, God wants to bless you. God wants to reward you. As a matter of fact, it's pretty cool. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious bride. It's kind of cool when you read the Bible that, that, you know, when you do things God's way, not only will He be glorified, not only will others be blessed, but I'm telling you this, you will as well. When we look at all these sacrifices that Paul is making in life, and he's, he's counting the cost, and he's paying the price, and he's in prayer, and he's in the Word, and he's on his knees, and he is completely surrendered to the will of Almighty God. And some might wonder, well, why is he doing it? And we know he's doing it for Jesus. He's doing it for others. But you want to know something? He will also be benefited one day himself, really. And we see it. It's kind of interesting. We see it day by day 
and then we'll see it eventually on that day. As I said earlier, Paul was a man of scars and stripes. His body was beaten down, right? And so he is a unique uh, story. But in one sense, uh, all of us here can say what he says. Our outward man is perishing. Amen? I look at some of you and I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Their outward man is perishing, you know? Um, And it's good, you know? I mean, wrinkles are, are... When I look at people's wrinkles... I see character, to be honest with you. But it's it's inevitable. It's a part of the natural aging process. Apparently, as we become older, our skin gets thinner, drier, less elastic. Our skin's ability to protect itself from damage is also being reduced as we grow older. I don't know if you guys are interested in this, but I have an article, uh, 23 Ways to Reduce Wrinkles. Um, I'm started already. You guys know that they spend billions of dollars to deal with this, right? And if you want to do that, that's fine. It's up to you. But the bottom line is, the outward man is perishing, right? I mean, you can, if you want to, look a little plasticky. That's fine. But, you know, this whole aging thing will eventually catch up to you. Our outward man is perishing, and they say by around the age of 40, almost everyone will be needing reading glasses because what happens is the lens of our eyes becomes stiff and they won't refocus from distance to near. And they you know, say that in our 60s, uh, cataracts uh, occur, clouding of the lens begins to affect our vision. And uh, approximately one out of every three people by the age of 60 um, uh, have experienced some hearing loss due to the loss of sensory receptors in the inner ear. And at first, I guess, things sound muffled, and then high-pitched voices are harder to understand. I don't know if you can identify that. They, they say that men tend to have more hearing loss than women. Uh, with age, we lose muscle tissue. Our muscles become more rigid and less tones. Our organs are affected. The walls of our heart become thicker. The arteries stiffer. The heart rate slows. Uh, more than half of people age 60 and older have high blood pressure. I'm sorry you guys are saying amen to all these things. <laughs> yeah. And then there's gray hair. I'm thinking about bleaching mine blonde so one day... Um, Um, And there's our metabolism. How about your memory? You're like, I forgot about that, right? (laughs) Can't remember where you put your keys. You forgot the name of the person you just met or you haven't seen in a while, right? Generally speaking, information processing slows as we grow older. And uh, we get uh, to a place where we have more trouble multitasking. And I'll stop there. Um, (laughs) I'm fighting it, to be honest with you. I'm fighting it, man. I'm trying to exercise, trying to eat right, but the bottom line is at the end of the day, God determines how long we have, right? And the outward man is perishing, right? But that's okay. When we minister like Paul did, like Jesus did, why? Because the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, the Greek word translated renewed here is only found twice in the Bible. It means to cause to grow up and to make new. It speaks of new strength and a new kind of life as opposed to the former corrupt state. And, and, you know, outside, I'm not sure how healthy you are, but inside, I want you guys to know this. It doesn't matter what's going on in your body. It doesn't matter. Inside, you can be as healthy as you want to be. 
And that's what Paul is saying right here. You know, when we serve the Lord, it's called Jesus first, others second, yourself last, but you will benefit from it. You will be, number one, renewed day by day. There will be an inner renewal. And then number two, there is an eternal glory on that day that will be so amazing and it will bring glory to God. That, that's what he says here in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. I like that. Working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, you look at what Paul went through, and it's kind of funny, man. He, he describes it all as a light affliction. Would you describe your sufferings like that? A light affliction. And he can only say that because he's comparing it to the reward that he will receive one day. What you find is that there is no comparison. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, if you get your eyes on the things that are eternal, on the things that are invisible, then you will find that your affliction that you're going through now is light in comparison to that. What you'll find is, you've got to see, this is just, uh, notice what he says right here, uh, for a moment. I mean, you're like, well, Lord, I've been going through this, you know, for 17 years now, and my heart goes out to you. That's, you know, relatively speaking, I guess you can say in human terms, it seems like a long time, but it's nothing compared to eternity. And that's all he's saying. You see, we need to fix our eyes on the price, the things that are eternal, not temporary, the things that are invisible, not visible. Because the things that are seen, Paul says, are temporary, but the things that are, are not seen are eternal. You know, I think of Bruce Jenner, and I think about how much he had to discipline himself, how much he had to deny himself to win that gold medal. Right? Why has he stopped? Why has he refused and come to this place in his life now where he won't deny himself in order that he might have a, a crown in heaven that will never fade away? You know, later on today, we're going to show tonight the, the interview with Manny Pacquiao. And here's a man who had everything, another athlete working hard. But he came to that place in his life, his, I think it was about three years ago, man, where he was empty inside. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He saw the light. And it's an amazing testimony. And now his life is sold out, completely committed to Jesus Christ. You see, what we find, you guys, in looking at this is stories that I think are important to us even illustrated in the Old Testament. How many of you guys have heard of that guy Gideon in the Old Testament? A really cool story. If you get a chance, read it in Judges chapter 6 through 7 because that's a story that illustrates exactly what Paul is speaking today. And in Judges chapter 6, what was happening was the Midianites were defeating the Israelites. They were under their oppression. They were under them. And, you know, one day the Lord appeared to Gideon 
And he chose him to lead the people. And, you know, Gideon was a man, he called himself, you know, the weakest clan and the weakest of his clan. But the Lord said, I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites. And I'll tell you what, I would just say this to all of you here today, all of you here, that if you would surrender your life to Christ completely to his agenda and to the ministry that he's called you to with wholeheartedness and reckless abandon, then God might use you like a Gideon to save our whole nation. What God can do through one man who surrendered, right? But the battle plan was pretty amazing. When Gideon finally went out to battle against the Midianites, he had 32,000 soldiers. You know, and you're thinking, okay, that's a pretty good amount. But God said, there's too many soldiers. What I need you to do is ask all these guys who's afraid. And all the ones that are afraid, tell them to go away. I don't want them. And so he asked, and there were 22,000 soldiers that were afraid. And so now his uh, army's down to 10,000. And God said, you know what? There's still too many soldiers. Because if you guys win with 10,000, you're going to take the credit for yourself. And so he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and take the men to the water right there and watch them drink the water. The ones that drink it like a dog, you know, like lapping it up like a dog, tell them to go away. The ones that are like this, you keep them, right? And, and what that's a visual of is not only the ones that are, you know, uh, afraid they would leave, but the ones that, who weren't watchful. And so now the army is reduced now, however, to 300 men. So how are you going to win with only 300 men? How are you going to win with earthen vessels? How are you going to win this battle of life that you're in? We're just jars of clay. How are you going to do it? Well, I'll tell you how you're going to do it, Gideon. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take, and it's kind of interesting, in the book of Judges chapter 7, I want you to take a jar of clay, and I want you to put a torch in it. I want you to put a light in it. And this is what I want you to do in order to win the battle. When I say go, when you blow that trumpet, what I want you to do is I want you to take that jar of clay that has a light inside of it, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to break it. I want you to break it. And you lift it up and you say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And I want you to break that jar so that all the people would see the light. And you guys see, that's exactly the way it is for us. You know, I mean, I was telling my son, it's just so sad. The, the mentality of society can creep into the church to where they think, well, I just want them to see me. No, may I be broken. And may the people see Jesus. See, that's what they need to see. That's how we win that's how we get the victory. And what we find in studying today is if you want to have joy, I think we have one last uh, slide here. And it's got to be Jesus first, others second, and yourself dead last. Okay, I'll say dead last. <laughs> but if you're dead last, then you will have life like you never had. May God give us that joy. Father, we thank you so much for loving us, Lord, the way that you do. Lord, I, I just thank you for your people here today and just your church, God, as you're working in them. I see the hunger in their eyes. 
bless them, Lord, and help them to know that as they go through the fire, as they're in this raging war that they're in, Lord, that there's more to life. Help them not to in any way be despondent or lackadaisical or complacent or lazy. Help us, God, to be passionate and completely on fire for you and your purposes, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord, to do things for Jesus. I pray, Lord, you would be first, others a second, and then, Lord, help us to think of ourselves last, knowing, Lord, that if we do these things, we will be renewed in the inner man day by day. And one day on that day, Lord, there will be glory unimaginable. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.